you, you have to have you have to have a level of conformity to thrive within the system. And until you escape the system's sphere of influence, it's very, very hard to be authentic. Episode 24, The Trouble with Temple. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Well, hey, Matt, we're back, and I think we have a trigger warning this week. Uh, given our uh, subject matter, I think it would be appropriate because, who oh boy, <laughs> you, oh, you want to walk God. us through that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so listen, we normally title our standard episodes, Blank is Autistic, and it's really a celebration. It's really a compliment, and you'll notice we use the capital A, Autism. So we're not saying, like when we say something like Star Wars is autistic, we're not saying like we have diagnosed a movie with autism, uh, according to the DSM. What we're saying is this is representative of autistic culture. And with this episode, my placeholder name for even before we started recording these podcasts was Temple is Autistic, because what better more well-known representation of autism than Temple Grandin, probably the most famous person, at least famous for autism person that we have. But I could not give her a capital A. Yeah. Yeah, because she does. She she is not a uh, an autistic culture sort of person. There, she's really not. She is autistic. She but... she is diagnosed fully. Uh, uh, brain scans indicate all sorts of uh, participation in autism. Uh, lowercase a research. Yes, but. Right. So I think yeah. that's a really thing I want to clarify is when we say blank is autistic without a question mark, like we have for our Wednesday episode, that really is coming from a uh, a, a complementary cultural perspective. And in this case, there are some aspects of autistic culture I want to talk about. This is a very complicated story that we're going to tell today. But if we were to leave this story out, it would be, I talk about 
a lot about being Italian-American. We can't talk about Italian-American culture without talking about Christopher Columbus. And Temple Grandin in autistic culture may be our... Uh, our our Christopher Columbus. We're we're going to talk about yeah. colonialism, capitalism, ableism, and a lot of not good things. But you know there are there there are things about Christopher Columbus that are weaved into the fabric of Italian American culture, and there are things about Temple Grandin that are weaved into autistic culture. It's important to learn the bad with the good, to have a full picture of where we are, where we came from, and where we're going. Because right. if we if we denied this, then uh, we would be, you know, the, the people who say, yes, we should definitely have Columbus Day because none of that bad stuff ever, ever, ever happened. And you can't make us say it did. Right. So That said, we yeah. will not be erecting any Temple Grandin um, statues or suggesting any holidays at the end of this episode. Let it be known. <laughs> Uh, so we will not need to pull those statues down. But I want to go back. I want to put this in context because the timing is really key. One of the things that makes Christopher Columbus important in Italian-American history is the idea. We know it's not true, but the idea Columbus discovered America, right? But he was there at the beginning. Maybe not here exactly, but anyway, he was in the general territory at the beginning and the beginningness of Temple's journey is really important. So Leo Kanner was the Australian-American psychiatrist who first, I guess, kind of described autism. It was 1943 and he talked about children with extreme autistic aloneness. That's how I think of you, Matt. Um, delayed echolalia and anxiously obsessive desire for the maintenance of sameness. Meh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Um, and he also, to us, but wow. Yeah. Little. Okay. But 1943 and obviously, and read neurotribes if you haven't read neurotribes for more on this, but at the same time, we've got Hans Osberger over there doing his little, Asperger's children show and and they do, and they weren't comparing notes they were not on reddit like these guys didn't know each other and were saying many same things and one of the things Canner was saying is like hey these kids are intelligent and they have extraordinary memories maybe they are valuable to society despite their you know anxiously obsessive desire for maintenance of sameness so he is troublesome. Yes. Thoughts. <laughs> I, I'm just glad that uh, he didn't see us entirely as garbage people. Yeah. So, well, only you, some Leo. of us. Some of us, as you will learn, only are garbage people. Yes, exactly. Of course. Yeah. As yeah, because ableism. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. So Fun. listen, that was 1943. Temple Grandin is born in 1947. So she is right there. And in 1949 or 50, I've seen reports of both. But by the time she was two or three, two and a half, maybe it was the beginning of 1950, she was given a diagnosis and the diagnosis was brain damage. So spoiler alert, there was no brain damage. There was, however, 
white privilege. And here is where white privilege comes into the story. So Temple, and and I love the the, uh, throwback here to our... Who's who's the poet we love? Emily Dickinson. Dickinson, uh, Also yes. from Boston. So Emily Dickinson's family is very mm. similar to Temple Grandin's. They are a university family in Boston. They are wealthy. They are white. They are well-educated. They have the library. They have the money. And Temple's mom, and we're going to talk about autism moms today, speaking of trigger alerts, Temple's mom is like, brain damage, though, not sure I see it. And because she has access to all these things, money, education, she's got a Harvard education, she starts doing her own research. She's like, I'm going to figure out what this is, and gosh darn it, I'm going to cure it. And this is at the time where um, they're talking about that, I forget whose theory this is, the refrigerator mother theory. I try uh, yes. and block this out. This is the idea. Autism yeah, is yeah. caused by cold mothers. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's quackery on the level with phrenology, but yes. Yes. Um, so, uh, she, so Temple's mom, her name is Eustacia, I think. Uh, Eustacia Cutler. So she's reading all about these refrigerator moms and she's doing what people with privilege can do. She is calling them. She is going to see them. This woman is having meetings. She is at it and she is trying to figure this out. And the main feedback she's getting is clearly you are engaged, you're caring and you love your child. So it can't be autism, Like, I know you think you see some similarities there, but this is brain damage. You should institutionalize your child. And she was like, I am not institutionalizing my child. This is like not what we're going to do. And again, we got a lot of white privilege going on here. We got a lot of, you know, class advantages going on here. But her mother refuses. And this actually, again, because of the money they could donate, the politicians, the policies they could influence, this actually has a huge impact on the institutionalization of autistic people. And I do think we have to acknowledge that there are many ways our culture is better because of this impact made by the Grandin family on reducing institutionalization. But then we get to the how. Sweet baby Jesus. It's always about the how. Yeah. So she's like, you don't have to institutionalize her. I will teach her to talk. And she was not, not verbal, I think, until like the age of three and a half. I will hire full-time speech pathologists. I will hire full-time care. I will teach her how to dress herself, how to say please and thank you, how to use manners, and how to have proper, normal social skills. And if you were taught this, and this actually saved you from being institutionalized. Because again, we're in 1950 here. Like this is probably a better solution. You can see where internalized ableism starts to creep in. 
Temple is incredibly grateful. Her mom teaches her how to be normal and she's able to do it because of all these supports. So our first Temple Grandin quote, which I would love you to share with us today, is from Temple. So this is Temple herself on this. People have to learn social skills. I had to learn social skills, like being in a play. This is one advantage of being a child of the 50s was. In the 50s, all children were taught manners. They were taught to say please and thank you. They were taught not to be rude. I'm hearing today where something is losing a job because they made fun of a fat lady who couldn't fit in an elevator. When I was eight-year-old, my mother made it clear to me that that was not okay. Like, I learned them social skills and everyone else can learn a social skill, too. You got it. You. Yeah. Oh, Oh. Oh, Temple. (laughs) And this is just the beginning of the show, huh? I know. And it's going to get worse. So, oh, God. (laughs) Buckle Um, up, listeners. (laughs) Yeah, buckle up, everybody. So this uh, in the 60s. Again, and we're going to talk a little bit about the evolution of the DSM and the pathology, the pathologization of autism. But when Temple's in her mid-teens, her mom finally finds this new checklist for autism and basically diagnoses her. And this um, earliness, both of her mom claiming it, owning it, having the confidence, not doubting herself, not, and you can actually even see this, I'll put it in the show notes, but in the Temple Grandin biopic, um, which was on HBO, I think, uh, 2010, the, the, her mom has this confidence because she has a PhD, she was educated at Harvard. So she's not listening to the doctor. She like claims this title. She's like, I saw the checklist. Uh, Temple, you are autistic. And this is where Temple becomes functionally the world's first famous autistic person that we know is autistic. She knows she's autistic. She is confident in her diagnosis. We have self-diagnosed people today that are not confident in their diagnosis because they're not a doctor, but not the Grandin family. They're like, oh, did we mention we went to Harvard? We, We got this. It's amazing what you can accomplish if you're wealthy and white. Yeah. Yeah. And the and well-educated, which follows with that privilege. Like, how do you get into Harvard? Her mom went to Harvard. So Temple's born in 1947 and her mom went to Harvard. Like, that's a very few people. And when that- you are first, you get to write a lot of the history. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just like Columbus. Just like Columbus. So uh, so I think of Temple after doing the research for this episode as sort of the colonizer. And really, Eustacia has a lot to do with this. Autism moms colonizing uh, autistic culture. But the first colonizer, the first oppressor of our culture, one of them is Temple herself. It's a little bit of an Uncle Tom story that's going on here. Ooh. It's rough. So she is this generalized representative of the experiences and views of every autistic person. And by the way, if Temple can learn manners, then you can learn manners. If Temple can be at the top of her field, you can be at the top of your field because 
you know, we're all alike. That's how that works. But her, we are a monolith. Apparently we are now. a monolith. Yes. Just ask. And so. Yeah. None of this accounts for the fact that her experiences are inextricably linked to being white, rich, and the time she came of age and the family and location, Boston, where she came of age. But that is now autism. So God forbid you're a black or brown or an indigenous autistic person. Your voice. Off to the asylum for you. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, but capitalism is insipid. And so Grandin is speaking from a very young age, and she is mostly speaking to autism moms who want to fix their kids. And she says these revolutionary things. She advocates for differently abled brains. One of her first keynote speeches, and this also makes it into that biopic I mentioned, is different, not less. That's, that still good, remains Matt. with us today. Yeah. Different, not less. I agree. I guess as long as you're white, I like what's the, as long as you can uh, act normal, like you're in a play enough. Yeah. So she uh, says, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, uh, it's just, uh, this is one of the reasons why neurotypicals have such a difficult time diagnosing high maskers because uh, even back to this, uh, it's it's easy for them to diagnose a young child or uh, someone that has difficulty masking. But if you're able to learn the social skills and learn like being in a play, they can't see it because they, they only see the most obvious of traits. And again, this goes into the, the, the nonsense around functional labels and the nonsense around efficacy and all, all of this other stuff because oh, it all we're going to get to functional labels, my guy. We're going to oh, get to functional fantastic. labels. Uh, yeah. So listen, so when it comes to these like uh, politeness, manners, saying please and thank you, which she talks about a lot, she was able to learn those enough, right, to like be accepted. But she says, and she says this quite almost not with pride, but with uh, self-love, she says, couldn't do any algebra. Didn't matter how hard I tried. Didn't matter how many tutors there were. Never could get algebra. I wish they let me do geometry. I could have gotten geometry. But I couldn't do algebra. Didn't matter how much support you brought in. Now, Temple, isn't that fucking interesting? Because maybe yeah. some autistic people might be able to learn algebra with support, but not please and thank you. So what with us all having the exact same brain and all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So this is where she comes up with the idea that high-functioning autistic people, which I think means people who can say please and thank you and get a doctorate in animal science. I'm not sure. High-functioning autistic people are talented, intelligent, and necessary. I mean, she is an advocate. They are necessary to human society and survival. While low-functioning autistics cannot function or live independently, and therefore either need to be cured or 
prevented from existing or something. So brace yourself, buddy. This is from her book, Thinking in Pictures, read it, and then we'll process together. Ouch. So so if I was to be, oh, yeah. Read Read it, just read it. In an ideal world, the scientist should find a method to prevent the most severe forms of autism, but allow the milder forms to survive. After all, the really social people did not invent the first stone spear. That much is true. It was probably invented by an Aspie, capital A, who chipped away at rocks while the other people socialized around the campfire. Without autism autism traits, we might still be living in caves. Uh, a broken clock is right twice a day, and I do agree that uh, we were probably instrumental in uh, stimming away to the first tools. <laughs> but holy God, I, I uh, the the advocation for not allowing uh, non-speaking people or people with higher levels of care to not survive. Uh, so if I was to use the phrase, kiss my ass, please, uh, would that make me high functioning or low functioning? I, I Well, huh. I guess she is the one who decides or we could ask you, Stacia, because her mom might know the answer. I can't with this uh, temple, my love. Yeah. She her platform is different, not less. But. Right. Only if you have a milder form, but if you have a severe form, I guess you're so much less we should kill you? Or prevent your existence. Right. That's never allow you to be born to begin with. And this is a lot of the stuff that's carried over into Autism Speaks and uh, all this other really pathologizing view of the tism because they don't want us to be a culture. They want us to either be productive and capitalist uh, shills or dead. Mm-hmm. God, that's that's very frustrating. Yeah, her belief is that the only autistics who should be considered valuable are those, and let me tell you, I have listened to about 100 hours of Temple Grandin interviews. She says the same things over and over again. She is obsessed with people having a job and having manners. Those are the main two things. Have a job. She's super excited for you to use your specialized brain, whatever your thing is, whatever your interest is. I sort of agree with this. Your value, though, is being able to earn money for the production machine And you are not going to be able to earn money for the machine of production if you don't learn manners because you're going to get fired because you're going to say something stupid like the fat lady, lady was too fat to fit into an elevator and you'll get fired. So the purpose of manners is to make sure you don't get fired. And the value, and I'm not saying this because I listened to one or read one thing. Hundreds of hours, she repeats it over and over again. Every time. Go to your favorite podcast episode, search Temple Grand and look at anything. She says it over and over again. Social norms are there so you don't get fired. Not getting fired allows you to earn money. This is pure fucking capitalism. So not a surprise her message was the one that was accepted was the first one that came through. She is against, like her mother, people being burdens on society. 
Uh. So this is, you know, straight up bootstrapping libertarianism. And um, there's a famous book called The Siege by Clara Park, who battled her daughter's autism very much in the style of Temple Grandin. Eunice uh, Kennedy Shriver had a child with Down syndrome and focused on deinstitutionalization and community integration. But again, it was by fixing. So deinstitutionalization, good. Fixing people so they can function better for the capitalist machine of some concern. We might just be people that have rights because we're people, but you know, maybe crazy thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to exist is a fundamental right. Who knew? But yeah, that's the problem with this because she's so close to having some really, really good ideas, but she takes a hard left turn there and uh, makes it uh, extraordinarily offensive and that's that's a that's problematic. Right. And generational. Like this is yeah. le- a learned behavior. So in 1980, the DSM-3 finally gives autism a separate diagnosis. It calls it a pervasive developmental disorder, but it is now separate from schizophrenia. Because remember, Canner, they were all coming in thinking this was childhood schizophrenia or something. And so now oh, yeah. it's a pervasive developmental disorder. And at this point, Temple has graduated. She's had some career success and she follows the pattern that worked for her, kept her out of institutions, gave her a career. And she begins to do the research that her mom was doing. She takes over in her mom's footsteps. She's reaching out to autism researchers. She's a doctor too, a scientist too. And she says that she takes on the role of an anthropologist. And like, as if she was studying a different culture, she wants to understand the rules. She wants to understand uh, how to fix herself. And then she's giving all ah, these speeches. ah, ah. So how to teach autistic moms. And this is where it's not exactly pseudoscience because she is a scientist, but she's not actually studying autism as an autistic researcher, but she's using her PhD. She's using her scientific cred. She's talking to these autism researchers. And then she comes back to these autism mom conferences with what she has learned. Essentially what Temple does here, and this is an argument I'm making. I didn't read this anywhere, but I think she's inventing ABA. She's going yeah. to these conferences and early on in the early 80s, from 80 to 86, she is talking about how to fix autistic kids to autistic moms, what you could do at home today to make them more neurotypical. She writes, uh, which I tortured myself into reading, uh, a an autobiography. It is not good. It is called Emergence, labeled autistic. Um, and publishing. I, so I started in publishing in 1994. In 1986, to get a book deal is very rare. It is very hard. And as a woman in your 30s, 
you have to go through so many gatekeepers. So number one, it's almost all white men. It's almost all neurotypical people. You have to write proposals. You have to get a literary agent. Like there are many steps to getting a book published and how much privilege goes into her being the one to write this autobiography. Again, she's claiming this territory. She's planting her flag. She's colonizing this territory because she can. Other people can't. And why is she able to do this? Because she goes to the publisher. The publisher actually comes to her at an autism conference, but she goes to a publisher with a built-in audience. Who is that audience, Matt? autism Autism moms moms. who want to fix their kids. The publisher thinks we can sell this. We can make a lot of money because... Capitalism. Capitalism. So she's got this internalized ableism, but this internalized ableism, it really serves her. She wouldn't be a published author at what however old she was, 39 or whatever. Like she would never have gotten a book deal. Um... 86, 1986 minus 1947. Yeah, she's 39, never would have gotten a fucking autobiography deal without an audience. She was an influencer before the internet and wouldn't have been published without this internalized ableism. So it is serving her. So again, we've got autistic woman publishes book. I'm excited. This is great. There are not enough women being published. There are not enough autistic people being published in 1986. And on the other side, white lady colonizes autistic culture. Boo. Yeah. Her her, her brand is selling out to the normies. But That's she fantastic. doesn't even know that. Like part of me is like, no, I mean, no, it's her all brand is her brand is like, I'm gonna make as much of my life as I can, as much money, as much success, as much fame. And she has done that. And how? By capitalizing on her privilege. So at this point- I was taught please and thank you and I'm successful and so can you. Yeah, which is exactly what people want to hear. People, including the New Yorker, so the New Yorker has uh, Oliver Sacks is one of their staff writers. Oh. He does a profile called An Anthropologist on Mars. This is where things really take off. Uh, this is in 1993. Um, and Temple is getting these huge speaking engagements. At this point, she has written eight books. She speaks at every autism conference. She is the star of the show. She's been profiled on 2020, 60 Minutes, The Today Show. There's a documentary in 2010. HBO does the biopic starring Claire Danes. If I'm going to put this in the show notes too, bless your heart if you can get through it. It is painful. But her TED Talk is translated into 36 languages and in English alone has 6.5 million views. Wow, that's a big reach. That TED Talk almost killed me. And Matt, the TED Talk has a lovely name. It is called The World Needs All Kinds of Minds. Again, we're so close. That That's a good title. That's a good idea. We're, we're so close to being very positive on this. So close. 
we we so just don't close. stick the landing. <gasps> no, but here she is now laying the groundwork for the concept of neurodiversity. Pretty cool. I also, in all these interviews, she does the coolest thing. I absolutely love it. Um, she, if she does not like the interviewer's question, like if they do small talk, she has the best way of handling small talk. Like the interviewer will ask a question like, how's the reception been to your book? Which she thinks is total bullshit. And she wants to talk about how autistic people should learn manners and get a job. So she'll be like, I don't really want to talk about that. I want to talk about how autistic people should get a job. I'm like, yeah, girl. She just like claims her space. She was on uh, Barry Prezant and Dave Finch's amazing podcast, Uniquely Human, which I totally love. And they're interviewing her. The interview's like this. They're all talking. Everybody's excited. And then she's like, okay, I'm going to go now. I'm done talking. And it just hangs up. She's like, I'm done. That uh, so, uh, oh yeah, so much good stuff. It's it's that that last ten percent or so is just wow. That's a shame. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that L-P-P, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowrylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. I get really, really confused. And I have to tell you, in... I think it was in my 30s, maybe it was my late 20s, the TV show The Sopranos came out and oh, yeah. I have a zero tolerance for violence. Like, like I cannot yeah. watch horror movies. I can't watch anything scary. I can't watch fight scenes. Even we haven't talked about this. It's love me anyway. But like even like Star Wars fight scenes, the violence mm-hmm. doesn't bother me, but I can't follow it. Like I can't track it. Mm -hmm. And then the Star Wars franchise lost me when they, with the whole young Jedi, when they killed the young Jedi, the young Uh, Jedi school that I ran screaming out of the movie theater. Yeah. But the Sopranos, which is far more violent than any Star Wars. It's horrible. It's horrible. It does such a beautiful job of telling the Italian American culture story, the way they pronounce things, the food they eat, the songs they sing, the dances they do, the way they do their hair, their their purses, everything, the way they dress. It is my life growing up in Connecticut, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York. We have a very similar Italian-American culture. And so culture is not a monolith and it is not without complication. There are things I love about the character of Tony Soprano, weirdly, but then also horrible, evil monster. And one of the things that would happen to me growing up is people would say, oh, you're Sicilian. Does that mean your your dad's in the mafia? Uh. Like, no, my dad is not in the mafia. And that's what I feel like Temple Grandin is such a part of our culture where it's like, oh, you're artistic. Do you think in pictures? 
Oh, you're artistic. Do you, uh, you know, invent magical things? And it really is this like idea. We are all the same because she has such an outsized place in the culture, like the Godfather, Tony Soprano or the Sopranos. Like there's so much Italian mob culture in the media, but I can tell you, I know a lot of Italian Americans. I don't know anyone in the mafia. That's the media. And she took up all that space because of her prominence, her extremely high levels of visibility, her ideas have proliferated. And I think a part of why this caught on is her message is very much all lives matter, which sounds good, right? Like brains, what was the, what was her TED talk again? The world needs all kinds of brains different, not less. Those things sound good. And really all lives matter sounds good. I don't see color sounds great. If you don't unpack it, it's like, I just love people. I just love people. All brains matter. Great. All brains matter. As long as you play by the rules, by this capitalist narrative of what it is to be an accept, an acceptable autistic, a well-behaved autistic, a, by the way, you don't have to do it right. You just have to be striving and wanting to conform. And that is, that is Temple. And I have a story here. Yeah, I'll get your thoughts. And then I, I have a little temple story I want to share. Uh, yeah. It, You're it's, like thoughts. It's a whole, all, all lives matter. It's just that some lives matter more than others. And all brains matter. Some brains just matter more than others. As long as you can act white, you can be right. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah, and that's, it's, that's, it's that's it, right? It's the act way. So this yeah. flows perfectly into my story. So I ah. love this story. I love the Emily Dickinson connection here. Temple Grandin's name is not Temple. Did you know that? I did not. That seems like a very prolific uh, pseudonym there because uh, if you're going to go all the way, not Bob, uh, just go straight for a temple. Something to worship Her at, eh? name is Mary Grandin. Mary Grandin. That's interesting. Her middle name is Temple. Her name is Mary Temple Grandin. And there is a story that's told. I'll tell you the story that's told. There was a, a, a servant, some sort of domestic, low class, low, lower class than them, domestic servant named Mary. And apparently Temple in her pre-verbal years got confused when they would call Mary the servant versus her name, Mary. So to the speech pathologist, to make it easy, they started calling her Temple. I don't believe this story. I do believe there was somebody who worked for them uh, who was on staff named Mary. I believe that part. But That's a common name. this is yeah. what actually happened. Temple screams every time someone calls her Mary. She screams. She freaks out. She throws tantrums. She says her name isn't Mary. And the narrative that gets built is it's because she's confused because of this worker um, that works in their home. How dare that worker have the same name as the child? Right. 
But what also happens, and Temple writes about that in that horrible book I had to read, Emergence, Temple doesn't like being associated with a gender. I think the screaming was about being called Mary because it was a female gendered name. She has always thought of herself as gender neutral and has always liked and embraced the name Temple because it does not convey a gender. She had fucking preferred pronouns. She just didn't talk about those because they make people uncomfortable. But what she did talk about is she is asexual. She is very clearly asexual, writes about it. She is gender non-binary, asexual, writes about both of these things, not using typical language we might see from a Gen Z progressive kid, but she is writing about it without shame. She's attributing it to her autism. She's like, as part of my autism, I happen to be non-binary and asexual. Hmm. Interesting. She is straight up LGBTQIA+. But... As you were saying, if you can act white, you're all right. She does it in a way that straight people like. She does it in a way that works for capitalism and hegemony, which is she doesn't require you to do anything. She just says her name is Temple. That seems reasonable. It's not that weird of a name. I mean, it's not that normal, but it's not that weird. She doesn't go around like talking about being a lesbian or something. She's just asexual and so it doesn't affect them and people can do what they want. It's all the ways that people who say they, you know, uh, hate, hate the sin, love the sinner. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. It's hate the sin, love the sinner friendly. So she's not asking for acceptance. She's not asking for you to use her pronouns. She doesn't articulate ideas about queerness and autism. Everything she does just fits very nicely into the existing status quo. Yeah, because she's, as they say, quote, not in your face about it. Because she she doesn't go around making the the straights uncomfortable. She doesn't go around uh, making the neurotypicals uncomfortable. And uh, that's uh, because, again, that's part of her internalized ableism. She's got to uh, conform in order to be successful. She... She's allowed a little bit of wiggle room with eccentricity due to the tism, but not mm-hmm. enough to actually be out there and in your face about it. That's very interesting, right? Read, read this it's quote fascinating. from Temple. Here's a quote from her. The thing about being autistic is that you gradually get less and less... Au- oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. You have to uh, read it. You I'll have to read fresh. it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll start fresh. Uh, I'll start fresh, but if I start gagging, you'll know why. Uh, The thing about being (laughs) autistic is that you gradually get less and less autistic because you keep learning, Jesus. You keep learning how to behave. It's like being in a play. I'm always in a play. I am much less autistic now compared to when I was young. I remember some behaviors like picking carpet fuzz and watching spinning plates for hours. I didn't want to be touched. I couldn't shut out background noise. I didn't talk until I was about four years old. I screamed. I hummed. But as I grew up, I improved. Oh, God, it makes me want to retch. 
Wow, the die. internalized ableism is so in. Oh my oh. God! And this is the thing. This is what neurotypicals. This is the message that Autism Speaks has that we grow out of it because people like Temple mask because people like Temple subvert their true selves in order to make themselves more palatable for the neurotypical capitalist world around them. Mm. Oh God, that hurts. Oh. I'm going to need to go uh, use mouthwash after that because yikes. I know. I know. Uh, you get and less like... and less autistic because you keep learning and you keep learning how to behave mm. because it's all about behaviors. Oh, God, I work in community yeah. mental health. And this is a thing that a supervisor told me that autism is all about behaviors. And that's every time I had to tell people that I wanted to throw up because that was the policy in the office that I worked in. And when I did autism reports, I had to use that. And every single time I died inside, I went into oh, a no. deep, deep depression because I had to shill for capitalism in order to keep my job because, Oh my God, that's offensive. That is awful. But it like, is. Matt, it is. I mean, I just, I just really want to like honor the fact that like you needed a fucking job. Yeah. And I, I think in, in when somebody and maybe even a, a well-meaning autism mom, when somebody hears this message from Temple, they're worried about their kid not being able to have a job. So they're like, God, if only I could get my kid better at being in this play and masking yeah. all day, then they could have a job. And like how amazing now that you help people and you're able to be your authentic uh, autistic self and helping people become more authentically autistic. And like now you have that, but like what, how much work to get there? How much fucking yeah. student debt to get there? How many exactly. relationships that you have been able to to let go of? That maybe other yeah. people that needed more support or more services. Like I know people that live with their ableist moms, but can't live on their own as an autistic person and weren't able to let go of that. And so you're, it, it, one can easily get trapped inside this system where what Temple is teaching seems like the best thing. Yeah. To stay alive. They- to you you have to have you have to have a level of conformity to thrive within the system, and until you escape the system's sphere of influence, it's very very hard to be authentic. And that's a that might be a big thing for Temple now because even today, if she found a new way of thinking and is is more actually autism affirming she can't do a pivot right now because then she might lose a good chunk of her audience and her yep yeah it's it's listen that's what happened to me in my business so uh, we haven't talked about this too much and i won't spend too long on it but when i was diagnosed i immediately went down the temple granted path but, you know, found Temple stuff, found a therapist who, a CBT-based therapist who could teach me how to act more normal. I read Dave uh. Finch's book, which I love, The Journal of Best Practices. And it was like, here's how to act. Uh, these were all, he writes himself a list of instructions for how to act with his neurotypical wife. So I copied that oh, and made a list of how to act. And Matt, 
I got my business to $20 million a year on doing that. Like it fucking worked. And that is a good what chunk, I, yeah. What I taught people was like, try harder, suffer more. And ah, then- Oh, the neurotypical mantra. Have you tried suffering? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was when I look back at everything I taught. And then um, I was just telling the story to my husband in- 2017, I had a major car accident. First of all, I'm a terrible driver. I get into car accidents all the time. I should not be. Proprioceptive stuff. Yeah. It's not for it's not for me. But I got in the car. I had my coat on. I couldn't like move the steering wheel because my coat was caught. So I got out of the car to take my coat off, but the car was running and my coat got caught under the wheel and my car ran over me. Oh God. It's not great. It was not great. And, um, that did not, I thought it was an unfortunate accident. It super messed me up. Like I was in deep trauma work for a long time. It was very not good. But then about a year later, I lost my voice completely. And I was doing like four events a month and I couldn't speak. I was a paid professional speaker that couldn't speak. And sort of like Tony Robbins, who I think is in autistic burnout too. But anyway, that's another issue. So I didn't know I was in burnout because I have alexithymia. I don't really know how I feel a lot of the time. And so I just kept going. Like despite the fact that I was so burned out, I ran over myself with my car. Despite the fact that I didn't have a voice anymore, I kept doing speaking engagements. I did 200 speaking engagements with no voice. Nothing occurred to me like you might be in burnout and should slow down, just like it doesn't occur to me to go to the bathroom all day. Like, I just don't notice that stuff. And I had all these systems built around me to keep me going, all the support, all these systems. And when COVID happened and all my systems fell apart, I was off the cliff for months in deep suicidal autistic burnout, like barely survived it. Yep. And when I came back to build my business and I said, I'm not going to support all those messages of ableism. I'm not going to keep putting this out. My business tanked. Like I did not have a $20 million business anymore. And I will tell you, if Temple changed her message, people would not like it. It would tank her business. But I, my option was tank my business or die. Yeah. And and that's the thing with a lot of us. If, if if we are able to pass, God, I hate that phrase, but it applies. Mm -hmm. Uh, if we are able to pass and we are able to make a living, that can be terrifying to try to, you know, change. And uh, I was the same way because as long as I was in the neuro closet, I people referred people to me. I had a local provider mm-hmm. when I started my own business that kept referring people to me. But as soon as I came out, they thought that I was somehow unreliable and less than and they stopped sending people to me. And that's when uh, that that coincidentally happened with the pandemic and with all these people discovering traits. That's when that's 
I was very, very, very fortunate to happen to be out and doing this stuff at the time that the pandemic happened, when all of these people started to stay at home and have the burnout and start to realize mm. these traits through TikTok and all these other things, it started coming to me because I was out. But uh, without the pandemic, I don't know if I would be able to have the the support that I have, have the reach that I have, have a podcast with you because it, it would have still been in the closet trying to play the game by other people's rules. And that yeah. is that is a terrifying and horrifying situation for a lot of autistics and why we don't see... And this goes back to, you know, all the other successful autistics like Dan Aykroyd can't play up his autistic traits because he needs to survive in a business. Or uh, the... So, so, Satoshi Tajiri, Pokemon, he doesn't talk about being autistic because of... Exactly. All of these famous people who are autistic have this barrier. Even the most successful of us can't be their true selves because of the capitalism, because of what they have to lose. And that is that is the insidious thing about our society, that it still keeps us down. Even the most powerful and influential autistics out there still have to play the Temple Grandin game to appease the majority because we're allowed to be sort of different, but not very different. Not very Because if different. we're very different, it spooks the normies. Oh, yep. oh. And ah, here's, ah, here's how Temple a, says it. <laughs> this is an excellent segue. Uh, uh, uh. <sighs> A little bit of the autism trait, oh God, provides advantages, but too much creates a, quote, low-functioning individual who cannot live independently. The paradox is that milder forms of autism and Asperger's are part of human diversity, but severe autism is a great disability. There is no black and white dividing line between an eccentric, brilliant scientist and Asperger's. And that's that's the thing, isn't it? Because we we are allowed a a degree of eccentricity. We are allowed a a little bit of deviance. As a cishet white male, I am allowed a great deal of deviance because people say, Ooh. "Oh yes, clearly you're the Asperger guy." And even even when I was a kid, they said, "Oh hey, you have Aspergers. Would you like to learn more?" Why? Thank you. I would love to learn more. Mm. But there are lots and lots of people out there who don't fall into my particular set who are discriminated against, who are not allowed any variance. And this is why, you know, ABA still exists because it promotes that, well, in order to live in society, you have to meet this, 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 and this uh, by any means necessary because otherwise your child will die alone in the gutter. And right. that's a terrifying message. And that is message. scary to parents. Yeah. Yeah. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com, and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. So then Temple says this. Here's another quote. If here. I... If I could snap my fingers and be non-autistic, I would not. Autism is part of what I am. Well, that's that's hello, Temple. Good. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Yeah, that, I, I was expecting that quote to go much worse. No, she's like, I would never get rid of my autism. Autism is part of who I am. Yes, thank you. Correct. Yeah. Welcome to the show. 
I I don't understand how she can draw this distinction between natural human variability and disability. It's this usual stereotype. Natural variation is good, but disability is bad. I, I think All it goes the back roses to the- are good, but not the ones that have short stems. Like, yeah. oh. well, that's that's the thing. I mean, it was beaten into her head from a very young age. If you can't talk, you're going to go to an asylum. If you can't work, you're going to go to an asylum. And that has been the, the thing that has uh, pushed her all these years. She has to be successful. Otherwise, she's a non-person. And this mm-hmm. is this is this influences all of this stuff. And unfortunately, this internalized ableism bleeds onto everyone else that we have to be productive 40 to 60 to 80 hours a week just to be accepted. We have to have value to society. We have to have value to neurotypicals because we our lives don't inherently have value because otherwise we're disabled. We're a burden on society and we need to be institutionalized. And yep. that's 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 the internalized ableism that a lot of our people face. And that's why and we like, have such a high suicide rate. And that's why we have such a high suicide rate. Exactly. And like, just to be clear, why Temple was able to do this is white, wealthy, well-educated, well-paced, placed parents that were able, well-placed, meaning they're in Boston. So there's all these researchers support and they can afford it. Like that is a very, that is rare air, rarefied air. And they find speech pathologists. They can pay for boarding schools. They pay for college. They get her into college. Most autistic people do not have these opportunities because most people don't have this capital. And so a capitalist society says, just throw those people out if they can't get those supports. They're sponges. They don't have value. Temple, this is a real quote from Temple. She says, young adults with autism need to get their butts out of the house and get a job. Work experience can start small, walking dogs in the neighborhood or mowing lawns. Mowing lawns, walking dogs. Okay, anyway, way too many young adults with autism have never had a job and they only make a living speaking about autism with no real life work experience. Love the irony, sis. Temple, who makes most of her living speaking about autism. How is speaking about autism? That doesn't count as a job, but walking a dog outside. I hate the outside with barking. I hate barking. Lawn mowing with grass clippings. Yeah. But but I can't. I I personally, uh, because of my asthma, cannot mow the lawn. So I would be happy to pay Temple Grandin to mow my lawn. Because if, okay. if that's the real work, I I am willing to put it out there. I will hire you, Temple Grandin. I will pay you $20 to mow my lawn. <laughs> mow my lawn, Temple. Yes. Maybe we'll rename the episode. This is what she says. <laughs> Read this quote. I want kids to get out there and do everything they can do. There's also a whole chapter in the book about how getting kids out about getting kids out in the real world. I like what Stephen Stephen Hawking had to say about disability. "Quote: Concentrate on the things you can do. Your disability does not prevent you from doing well." Oh God! Recently, a dad came up to me at an airport and told me about his son who is autistic and does every ground support job for a major airline, fueling. De-icing and marshalling planes. 
He absolutely loves his job and the airline loves him. That's the kind of stuff I want to hear. But that's the thing. This kid probably has a special interest of airplanes and airports and might really get a kick out of doing this. And this, this is the key to autistic success. We, ca we can't survive in a neurotypical capitalist cubicle-based world. We, the only way we will survive is by doing our special interests and finding a way to get paid for them. Because right, we, so the we special said, yeah. interest of airplanes, that's the kind of stuff she wants to hear. But the special interest yeah. of autism and people, young adults with autism who have never had a job and only make a living by speaking about autism, she doesn't want to hear about that. And I find that fascinating. Autism because can't it kind be of, our special interest. What? Well, that's the... Th it seems like she might also be a little concerned that uh, the up-and-coming progressive autistic kids might uh, have a different audience than her current message and might be competitors. Oh, you think? Yeah. Yo, you uh, think? Uh, just, yeah. A, just a bit. Yeah, just just a bit. So, so her yeah. belief that autistic children should be conditioned to normalize their behavior, their communication, and their movements for the, seek, for the sake of indistinguishability alone is profoundly ableist and dangerous. But the real consequence of that is that it leads to violence against disabled people for the crime of not being normal. And she's got just all don't want these enough. ideas... You just don't want it enough. So she says, when you're weird, and which I don't mind the word weird, but you'll see where she goes with this. When you're weird, you're going to have to sell your work, not yourself. People aren't going to buy you. They're going to buy your work. So you must make a portfolio. I started off by showing a portfolio of my work. And that's how I sold jobs. I'd find someone who is building a new cattle plant and I would just send them two by three foot handmade drawings right to the engineering department. And they'd go, wow, we'll hire her. Your portfolio has to be neatly presented. I call it the 32nd wow. You want something where somebody looks at it and says, wow, in less than 30 seconds. Send your best code, your best math. Make sure it's neatly presented with titles and labels and get it into the hands of people who will appreciate your work. Because we are, we are our work and our value lies in our work, not with ourselves. No, that it's, wouldn't lead to burnout or anything. Seriously. <sighs> that's, and that's, the, God, that's the thing because we need weird, we need uniqueness. But that's, again, this, this is the ableism because, again, as a white cishet male, I am allowed a degree of weird uh, because I, I check off all the other boxes of, quote, normality. When I was in grad school, I... Uh, have you ever seen like the D and D character, uh, like this uh, uh, pentagram or something that where you have all these different levels, like endurance and 
uh, speed and all this other stuff. But anyway, I pro- yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, of course. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I, I proposed a multidimensional identity of normality based on like race and religion and all this other stuff to see how people could be normal. But everybody in my department was like, Matt, that's too complex. We just really need to focus on one issue at a time here. And I was like, well, but that's the thing yeah. though, isn't it? Because I have privilege in these areas. I don't have privilege in the other areas because again, I was not out as autistic at the time. I was autistic as fuck at the time. I was not autistic out at the time. But again, Mm -hmm. big difference there. But that's that's the big thing here. We you are allowed a degree of weirdness, but if you use up all your slots by being, I don't know, a woman or black or Muslim Ah. or trans, or you're only allowed one or two weird slots, and anything after that becomes unpalatable to the normies. And as if you've used up all of your weird slots, you have to overcompensate by by producing, by having this thing that they will say, well, they're weird, but they can make us a lot of money. So right. that's that's our value to society for these people. And that's horrifying because there's a lot of people who who can't unweird themselves, as it were, because just by existing, you've taken up all the slots and people don't take you seriously as a human being. And that is yep. tragic. It is it is the thing that kills our people, and that's why. Uh, uh, and again, as well, that's why uh, I started being more out and about because my son was non-speaking, and that takes up a weird slot. And he's 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 not at an age where he's able to mask, and I don't want him to have to learn to do that because mm-hmm. I I firmly believe that again, like with you and the autistic burnout, I hit my own burnout. I don't see how I could go back to living in the neuro closet and 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 not die at 50. Right. Right, that's how I feel. 100%. The idea that yeah, all of a sudden I'm going for some holocaust thing, but the idea that my work was so good, my work would stand for itself. Yeah. Did feel very liberating to me for a long time until it didn't. I was like, I'll just be so good. They can't kick me out of the room because I'll make them so much money, which I did. Like I was so good. But what I was agreeing to the terms of that is that my worth was based on what money I could generate as opposed to, or how neurotypical I could act as opposed to just being worthy because I'm human. It's a sort of negative liberty. Yeah. And and the moment that you have a bad day and you can't produce as much, you become expendable because they don't value yep. you. They value the work and they assume that other people can do the work that you can do. Mm-hmm. This, this is a big reason so, for the people who watch us on YouTube. I don't have my degrees behind me. I have all my cool stuff behind me because this is more representative re- representative of who I am other than all the degrees that I've had because it's yeah. I've. I I am fortunate. I am incredibly fortunate. I am incredibly privileged to say that to a large degree, I've escaped that and I'm allowed to be who I am. But again, white cishet male, uh, white cishet male who has an independent living, who is able to be weird, who is able to oppose ABA openly without too many consequences. I mean, ABA people hate my guts, but yeah. it doesn't really influence you know people 
paying me cash for evaluations for therapy and to come and, uh, as Temple Grandin hates, speak about autism. So. Right. Right. Yeah. See what you're doing there? You could be mowing lawns, Matt. Exactly. Yeah. I could get off my lazy ass and mow a lawn once in a while. Uh, yeah. So it's a shame. And and then like she does this cool thing. And this is kind of the point I want to end on, which is she she has a book. We've talked about it horribly ableist, um, but it's called Thinking in Pictures. And she talks about these three. She says autistic people have specialized brains instead of generalist brains. I, Monotropic I agree. focus. Yeah. One on this. Yeah. Yeah. And so she said there's three different cognitive types and she talks about visual thinkers like her who think in pictures. Then she talks about verbal specialists like me who are good at talking and writing but lack visual skills and that 100% is me. And then she talks about pattern thinkers. So that's like the beautiful mind uh, who excel in math and music, but have trouble with reading uh, and maybe also some types of visualization like she does. So you could be a, an autistic visual thinker with, let's say, an interest in, I don't know, cattle, and you're going to come up with a career that leverages, this is her advice in the book, that leverages visual thinking, whatever type of cognitive type you are, and then your special interest. So if you're a pattern guy, she wants you to be a computer programmer. And if you're a verbal specialist and you love writing, she would like you to have a publishing company. So like I'm doing it right And I don't find that people actually fit so neatly into these categories, but sure. There are three pre-approved jobs. Yeah, Yeah, basically. So the thing is, it mixes. And this is kind of the the point I want to bring this to a close on is like the idea we have special specialized brains, monotropic focus. And I really, I have done a lot of brain scan work and the visual part of my brain is like not there. There is nothing there. You can see it on the scans. It's just dark. And I have issues with, I never forget a name. I will remember your name, your kid's name, your dog's name, but I have no idea what you look like, like whatsoever. (laughs) Like I really don't, I can't visualize anything. I can picture any book in my library, full pages, um, but I'm, it's the words. It's not like a picture of the page. And so I like this. I find this construct helpful to me. And I can see how it's helpful to capitalism and can also do some harm. Like if you don't fit neatly into these categories or if your special interests maybe don't generate revenue for the machine and or if you just have sensory issues, which obviously Temple has brought a lot of awareness to sensory issues. If you have sensory issues and can't get enough accommodations to get to your special interest, the idea that your worth has to circulate around the thinking and pictures fits very neatly into the capitalist framework. And I, while I think it's true and helpful, I also think 
it's not true and harmful. And I have trouble holding both of those things. So here, here's what Temple says. What if we recognize these categories consciously and tried to make the various pairings work to our advantage? What if each of us was able to say, oh, here's my strength and here's my weakness. What can I do for you and what can you do for me? If people can consciously recognize the strengths and weaknesses in their ways of thinking, then they can seek out the right kinds of minds for the right reasons. And if they do that, then they're going to recognize that sometimes the right mind can belong only to an autistic brain. And I, so I think that that I is to, very accurate. Yeah. I had to end on a positive. That's a beautiful, helpful, wonderful quote. That quote is autistic with a capital A. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Matt, I don't know where I end this. Like, this is what I got. I, I wrote my conclusion. I'm going to read it to you. This shit okay. is complicated. Yeah. She is part of our culture. Deinstitutionalization yeah. is good. Mm-hmm. Understanding our sensory needs is good. Mm-hmm. Different, not less is good. Mm-hmm. Being more neurotypical and learning manners to get a job is bad. We yeah. need to fix or get rid of low functioning autistics is really bad. Oh God. The idea all autistics can be like her is like thinking all Italian Americans are in the mafia. This is not a helpful construct. And I for sure, capitalism is insipid. And yeah. I for sure don't want to have a Temple Grandin day any more than I want to celebrate Columbus Day. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that that is very much the takeaway on this because people are inherently complex she's she's made good strides for our people and she's made uh, good strides for capitalism to oppress us and that's <laughs> yep. yeah it's that it's a complicated it thing it's a complicated thing but i did want to leave on that good note because there are um you know that she has blazed blazed a path there are things that would not be happening right now with some of the more progressive leaders of our community without her blazing that trail. So I don't know. Anyway, the trouble with Temple is the name of this episode. <laughs> that's a very that's where I'm leaving named. it. <laughs> I, I like yeah. that a lot. So give us a little sunshine, a little ray of hope, a little bit of joy to go with the complications of this episode. What is one thing that you love about being autistic this week? So uh, my son and I go to the Lego store every Wednesday. And uh, last week, uh, they used to have the big Eiffel Tower up, which we now own, uh, because he loved it mm. so much. But now they had a, a little uh, place where you could play with Duplos for the younger kids. And my son collects every Duplo animal he can find. And every time he comes home to my house, the first thing he does is pull out all of his Duplo animals and lines them up because they're going to the forest. And he will tell me about every animal. His favorite animals are the elephants because there's an Emmett elephant and a daddy elephant, a baby elephant and a big elephant. And baby elephant can hold the big elephant's tail because they're holding hands. So 
every time he comes to my house, he pulls out the animals, he makes them line up to, quote, go to the forest. And they had a big bunch of animals at the Lego store for the little kids to play with and put on this green plate. And he saw this and ran right to it and started explaining all the animals to the Lego store people and explaining Daddy Elephant and Emmett Elephant and Emmett Elephant can hold Daddy Elephant's tail. And he said that they're going to the forest and he went, he told them all about this as he lined up all of the animals he could find in the store because he was so excited to put all these animals in their lines as they walked to the forest. And uh, the people in the Lego store apparently had never seen anything like it. And everyone is just kind of captivated by how enthusiastic he was about this because that that is his joy. He loves lining up his animals. He loves making them go to the forest. And I am so proud that the one thing that he wants to tell them about is Daddy Elephant or Emmett Elephant and Daddy Elephant. Aww. Because every time there's a big one and a little one, it's always Emmett and Daddy. And he's he's my little buddy. And he's he's sharing that autistic joy with the world. I I I got a kick out of it. I took many pictures and I just really love it. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in for this complicated episode. I encourage you to take care of yourself. I hope you took care of yourself while listening to this episode. Matt and I are going to do a little bit of self-soothing, a little bit of stimming, a little bit of safe food eating. And uh, we are definitely taking care of ourselves because this stuff is hard. This stuff is hard. And if it brings up something for you, um, find a thing that brings you comfort. Maybe line up your Duplo animals and have daddy elephant holds baby elephant. Um, if that's what gives you comfort right now, because this is big stuff that we are dealing with as a culture and, um, holding the complexity of it is a lot to ask of yourself. So Matt, thank you for being a safe space for me as I did the research for this and had to text you in a panic a couple of times. Um, I'm glad we get to tell this story. It's an important part of our culture. So thanks for being here. Bye guys. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in licensed psychological practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Thank you.